I'm Sarah Brown, and this is Gnosis, the podcast where no topic is off limits, but it's always in the outer limits. everybody and happy spring. Thank you so much for being here today. Lately, I feel like I've heard a lot of people defending their beliefs with the phrase, I know it could all just be in my head, or something to that effect. I've even heard myself say it. But the more I hear this phrase, the more I'm guided to a quote from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. For some context around this quote, Voldemort has just killed Harry, and he's having an out-of-body or near-death experience, and he's talking to the spirit of Dumbledore, trying to understand what's going on and whether or not he should choose to either remain dead or to come back to life. Harry asks Dumbledore if what he's experiencing is real or if it's all in his head, and Dumbledore responds, "'Of course it is happening inside your head, Harry.' But why on earth should that mean it is not real? This line has become incredibly important to me over the past few months. As this spiritual journey I'm on has forced me to analyze what is real, what is fake, or hoaxed, or imagined. When it comes to spirituality, people want the kind of proof that you can see and touch. They're more inclined to disbelieve something because they don't want to be seen as gullible or feel like they've been duped. But the way that we feel and the way that we see others is completely all in our heads. But it's all still very real. The more that I learn about the intangible, thought and spirit and emotion, the more I feel like it's all connected. If we can learn to communicate through those intangible mediums, I think we'll find that spiritual experiences that we've had in our minds They're connected to some kind of universal higher power, higher consciousness, or law or rule. Today's interview reveals another piece of this connectedness through the intangible lens of emotion. Communications manager Katie Cavicchio shares with us her spiritual gift of being an empath. Being an empath, which Katie will describe much more eloquently, is the ability to feel the emotions of others, to sense them and even adopt them if you aren't careful. Emotion has always been a form of communication, and it's all completely in our heads. We reveal a lot about ourselves when we express emotion and even when we repress emotion. And for Katie, those communication cues are heightened beyond our normal abilities. Today, try adopting the empathic ability to step into somebody else's shoes, and step into Katie's as she shares her experience with us. Hello, everybody. I'm here with Katie Cavicchio. Katie, you are communications manager. Mm -hmm. How did you fall into communications? Um, Communications, I, I did fall into it. That's a good way of saying it. I graduated from college 
in 2000, so a long time ago, with an English and women's studies degree, and all I wanted to do was go climbing. That's all I wanted to do. It's so long ago, actually, that we had women's studies and not gender studies. Like, that's that's how archaic my college degree is. But all I wanted to do was go rock climbing. So I moved to Colorado. I got a job at a climbing shop and quickly learned that I didn't care about selling anything. I was really bad at selling things. I was very poor because I was commission-based, so I like ate a lot of ramen that year. Um, but I liked engaging with people and connecting people to each other. So I lucked into a PR role at a climbing-related nonprofit. And from there, I've just explored kind of different communications kinds of positions. I've been a copywriter, an editor, a messaging strategist, um, brand developer. So yeah, I've always oh, wow. been kind of communications adjacent. Yeah. Because it feels like so natural, like it is something that you're meant to do. You're very eloquent, well-spoken. I, I hope it. so. Thank yes. you. <laughs> um, it's funny that you say that because I, I, this role is new for me. I'm about three months into this role, and I've never felt more in my flow in a job ever. Oh, so, I love that. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. to hear that. It's yeah. good to fall into a place that you're just like, this is where I'm meant to be. This is where I'm, I'm supposed to learn here. I'm supposed yeah. to grow here. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been stumbling blocks. I mean, I've sent out mass communications with incorrect dates, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So there's it's learning, but yeah. it feels good. Good. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So I want to dive into your spiritual journey because you are when I think of a spiritual person, I think of you. Like, you just are naturally, um, like, in tune with whatever it is that we're supposed to tune into. Oh, nice. So I want to hear about your spiritual journey and where you came from and where you are now. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up without one religion in my family. My mother is Presbyterian. My father is Catholic. And when they got married in the 1960s, there really weren't interfaith marriages. So Mm. they kind of just went to City Hall and got married. They both were happy in their faiths. So they stayed that way to to this day. Um, So we didn't have one church community or one faith, but there was a big emphasis on morality and kindness. Um, Lots of service work, lots of... um, you know, cooking for others on holidays, things like that. So I would say um, the the religion was kindness and was doing for others and like remembering to keep perspective. I um, love that yeah. so much. My grandpa is kind of the same way. Him yeah. and my grandma were in interfaith marriage, and then they like found their own faith together yeah. at some point. It's but kind of that's what his it feels basis like. is like it doesn't matter what you believe it's just kindness. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a real um there's curiosity in my background like I was always encouraged to go to church with my Jew or go to temple with my Jewish friends and oh, cool. I didn't know any Mormons until my 30s but like I definitely have gone to Mormon services. I it's just interesting and you're right. At the heart of every message is kindness. And we get so swept up in the differences and I don't know. I will not get political because that's not what we're here for, but I think that's a problem. Like, that we're so focused on the differences that we're totally on opposite sides now in the world. Totally. And I actually feel like one of the goals of this podcast is just to, like, 
connect everything together. I felt like the theme of this season has been everything is connected. I love that. And it just keeps coming up, like even here with you. And I love that so much. I think it's important. It's time. Mm -hmm. It feels like it's really time. Yeah. Yeah. To stop focusing on differences. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, to continue on my spiritual journey where I am now is... Um, I attend a Unitarian Universalist church, which is really nice for me at this moment. Um, they have a wonderful approach to like having children in the in the sanctuary, in the services. You know, I have a nine-month-old daughter, and mm. she yells and cries. At, well, she doesn't really cry, actually. She's pretty chill, but um, she has a lot to say. She <sighs> hollers and babbles and throws her toys, and nobody minds. She gets yeah. to be there with us, experience, experiencing spirituality. So, oh, I love that. Um, so that's where we are now, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. And, okay, so I know you've mentioned in the past that you have also studied Buddhism. Yeah. Where did that fall into things? Yeah, when I was in college, I I studied the beat poets. Gary Snyder was sort of my academic focus through college. I wrote my thesis on him, um, on his work. And Buddhism had a big impact on his experience, on the beat poets' experience. So I kind of fell into Buddhism in that way, learning about it through art and poetry and the impact that Buddhism had on the West when it came here uh, to the United States. Um, I don't follow the Eightfold Path strictly. Um, that That's a hard one. I, I mean, that's that sounds like a cop-out, but it is very strict and rigid, and I like shiny things, and I'm pro... You know, I mean, I just... I, I, yeah. It's not my path right now. Maybe yeah. someday. I, I think that's something probably that I aspire to. Um, I could be because I recognize that I feel guilt for not following that path. So I probably should look into that. Yeah, that's funny that you would feel guilt for mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah, because I don't feel guilt for not following any other sort of dogma or methodology. Mm-hmm. But but I do recognize like, oh, I, I ate a hamburger today. That's not part of the eightfold path you know you shouldn't eat meat or, or animal products even That's uh, some believe not yeah. everybody and and there, I will be honest the English translations of the original Sanskrit there are varying um there are various varying translations mm. so um yeah that's yeah. so fascinating and so Unitarianism is like inclusion of everyone, right? They don't really follow a specific... Exactly. There's not even one text for Unitarianism. Yeah. Um, It's very focused, at least the, the... Right now, in this moment in Unitarianism, it's focused on social justice and Mm. kindness and inclusion. And anytime you drive by a Unitarian church, you'll see a big rainbow flag in the front, and you'll see um, they have special services for, I think it's called... um, the religious transitions group. And so they they want to be a space for people who are questioning. And a lot of folks will go through that group and say, Unitarianism isn't for me. I want to be a Presbyterian or I want to stick with the Mormon faith. And it's really an opportunity for exploration. And at the beginning of every Unitarian service, someone reads a poem from Rumi, which... I, I won't get it right, but it's basically all are welcome here. No matter oh. who you love or how you live, no matter the color of your skin, you are welcome here. And and that is really what drew me to the place. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. again, about the differences, breaking mm-hmm. down those barriers is so important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
and and we all have different pasts and it's mm-hmm. okay to acknowledge that and yeah. be comfortable with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I really want to dive into empathy with you and being an empath specifically yeah. because the first time I met you, you were like, I'm an empath. And I remember that always stuck with me because I was like, okay, what is an empath really? Mm-hmm. Um, so can you give us an overview of what is an empath? Yeah, sure. And it's funny. I remember that first meeting and I think we were meant to be talking about yes. career pathing. And I think we talked about crystals and empathy and emotions. And it was such a great meeting. It yes. was really good. It was like it was like I was meant to meet you. Really. I know. <laughs> I know. I totally feel that way. Um, an empath is a person who absorbs emotions and energies of the people around them. And I say absorbs, but truthfully, it's can absorb. Someone can absorb those emotions if they're not careful. Um, There's a term that's being used now called an empowered empath, and that's someone who recognizes and acknowledges and senses those feelings and emotions of the people around them, but doesn't take them on. And that's something I'm looking into a lot right now because that's, I think, a a safer and healthier way to go through the world. Yeah. Um, more in control of what am I letting into my energetic container and, and what am I taking on? Yeah. Yeah. So an empath, I think, will often... that There's science right now that says empaths have very active mirror neurons, which is the part of the brain that can read emotional cues from others. So um, you'll see children have really active mirror neurons. They do a lot of mimicking. A lot of animals, too, have active mirror neurons. And the truth is the science has only been studied on monkeys. So oh, fascinating. we don't know. Yeah. Um, it could be a guess. It could be, a, you know, just a coincidence. But I think, I think there's truth to that, that, that empaths read the emotions, feel the emotions. Lots of empaths will feel physical pain if someone around them is in pain, is yeah. experiencing even emotional pain. That's fascinating to me. I remember this, there's this movie called Band Slam, and it has, like, Vanessa Hudgens in it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this part at the end where they're supposed to do a group project on, like, who is this person in your class? Uh-huh. Like, tell us about a classmate. Mm-hmm. And she takes a mirror around and she was like, he is not a person. He just mirrors everybody else. Oh. So do you feel like, how would empaths find their own identity? Yeah. As opposed to like just mirroring people. Mm-hmm. If that, if that sci- like science does match up. Yeah. I think that's a great question. And I think a lot of empaths will say, um, and I will say before I understood what an empath is and, mm-hmm. and, and how sensitive I am to other emotions, other people's emotions, empaths will feel crazy and will feel, I don't want to say this flippantly, but a little bit schizophrenic in that they won't know who they are or how they'll feel from moment to moment. Um, empaths tend to be very sensitive toward loud noises and large crowds, large crowds especially because they're feeling so much from the people around them that they're just taking it all in. And from one moment to the next, it could be like a manic excitement or a desperate pain or exhaustion. And that's that's the most typical feeling for what I'll call an unempowered empath, someone who isn't really aware of how to set boundaries. Um, exhaustion, drained, 
before I knew about being an empath, I felt drained all the time. Um, and I also felt very unsure of who am I specifically and what do I bring to the world? Because yeah. I was just, there were just so many other people's feelings flowing through me all the time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can only imagine it's draining. So mm-hmm. in that case, how do you, how do you create mental barriers in order to avoid this emotional roller coaster? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I will say one of the best things that ever happened to me was meeting my partner, Ryan, who understands empaths very well. He's an empath himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he's able to help me set boundaries. I know that watching certain television shows, especially the news, um, that will be painful for me, physical pain. I will see that there was a fire in someone's house and I will just suddenly feel loss, mm. like like real deep pain in my chest. It, it, mm-hmm. it manifests for me in my chest. Other empaths feel things in their hips and their shoulders. Um, for me, I just feel pain in my chest. And so if we're going to watch the news, um, if we're going to a movie where there are violent scenes, um, Ryan will often say to me, this is not your experience. You know, this is, this is not your experience. So that's, that's one way. He mm-hmm. is very helpful um, as far as just remembering, protect my own boundaries, acknowledge this experience, recognize that this is desperately sad for this person, but... I have other work to do. And and that's the other piece. Um, doing service work, volunteering, um, helping in any way that I can helps me take a step back from actually feeling those experiences. I can say to myself, I'm helping in the way that I can. I don't need to take on their story. Oh, that's fascinating. So yeah. service is a form of putting up a barrier for you. Yeah. And then also it feels like these mantras. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is not my story is one yeah. that I say to myself a lot. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I feel like that's so powerful because if I'm ever feeling anxious, just saying like I'm anxious or like acknowledging yes. something really helps me come down from it. Absolutely. Yeah. Naming the feelings. Mm-hmm. I, Strangely, I, I mean, I'm very happy in my life right now. I woke up yesterday morning feeling sad, and I don't know if it came from a dream or if it came from energy I'd absorbed in my sleep or, or something. I woke up feeling so sad, and I was able to say, I feel sad. I don't know why, but I feel sad. And then I was able to move on with my day and say, mm-hmm. well, I have things to do. It's okay that I feel sad. I'm just going to go on. And that's something I wouldn't have been able to do years ago before I started being aware of these emotions. I would say that's probably another very strong tool for empaths. Um, Name the emotions. Know how you're feeling. Don't let them take over to the point that you're overwhelmed or exhausted or, or, you know, too out of touch with yourself to know what's happening. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Do you feel like like a specific type of person is more prone to being an empath? Or is there even, like, a spectrum of empaths? Like, like there's, like, a spectrum of sexuality, maybe. Yeah. Then it's, like, you could be leaning, like, very highly empathic, or maybe you're just, like, more sensitive of a person. Or is mm-hmm. there a certain type of person who's more prone to empathy? Yeah. I think that's a great question. There are definitely spectrums of empaths. I've taken sort of 
questionnaires or quizzes that have told me that I'm a physical and emotional empath, which means I will feel physical pain or feel physical joy. We, it's funny, I'm focusing on pain, but empaths can also absorb excited, frenetic, energetic kind of emotions too. Yeah. So I, that's another time that I have to say, whoa, you're feeling really excited right now. You need to buckle down and get your work done. This excitement is not your story. So um, there's, a, there's that piece to it. I think anyone who's sensitive to the needs of others, sensitive to others' experiences, is a kind of empath. Um, and I think those who identify most as empaths are probably those people who are able to name their emotions, are able to acknowledge, I'm feeling this and I'm sensitive to this person who may also be feeling this thing or who, who may have a different experience than my own. Um, I'm really happy with this news, but this news affects someone else differently. That, that's empathy. That, that's being an empath to a degree. Okay. I love that. Yeah. I feel like, cause I feel like I'm sensitive, but I don't know that I'm to the point where I like experience it with a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I wouldn't necessarily label myself an empath. Yeah. But if it is more of a spectrum, then I would say I lean that way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think empathy is something, you know, an empath is empathic or empathetic. And that's something that we're talking about more and more. It feels like empathy is having a moment, you know. (laughs) It Um, does. It does. And it's so cool. Like, what a great thing to have a moment. Um, and so I think we're all getting more aware of it, too. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to remember, too, that we can all be sensitive to each other's feelings, and that's really healthy. We don't have to take on the emotions. That, that piece of it can be, can be devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, so the best part of being an empath is something that everybody can access. I love that. I love that a lot. So, okay, Can we dive into your actual experiences with empathy Mm -hmm. then? I would love to know, like, your personal experiences and, like, when you knew you were one, too. Interesting. I I think I first learned about empaths. I first thought of an empath as a thing, as something someone could be. Um, more than 20 years ago, I was on vacation in the Canary Islands and I was abducted. I experienced a big um, kind of tragic moment in my life, a very sad moment, scary moment. Um, it turned out fine. I'm fine and was released and all, all was okay. But a few weeks later, when I finally got home to the United States and was, you know, kind of processing the experience with my parents, my father told me that that same night, the night of my abduction, he was sick, he was unable to sleep, he was shaking, he was in physical pain, and he didn't know why. Um, and, And so as we talked and as we processed the experience and put that together, that's when I started to discover we are connected. You know, we, we, my father and I, we, all of us human beings and animals, we are connected on a, on a deep soul, um, maybe heart level. That's when I first discovered this is something that's real. Oh my gosh, Kay, you talk so casually about being abducted. Yeah, I know, and 
I'm sorry. Like, it's a big thing to drop. I've, I've been able to do a lot of work and processing yeah. on it. Um, you know, it was horrible, and it definitely yeah. changed the course of my life. It's one of those things that happens, and you think, I'll never be normal again, but it slowly becomes your normal, and it informs choices that you make um, that you would never have made had yeah. it not happened. I, I say the same thing about my divorce. I mean, it was a tough thing to go through. It was, it was very sad. It was very um, kind of unsettling, but oh my gosh, it, like what it has yielded in terms yeah. of love and freedom and joy, it's, you, I wouldn't change a thing. I love that perspective. I, I know that a lot of terrifying and terrible things happen to people, mm-hmm. but the fact that you've been able to like, well, one, being an empath, experience all mm-hmm. of those emotions and then turn it into something positive is yeah. actually amazing. Like, I feel like people try to do that their entire lives and often never don't I do sorry I'm no (laughs) I feel very lucky that my experience I was able to talk about it um I think that's a big piece I immediately was able to you know see a therapist process my feelings go to a hospital Mm. um these are things that I think a lot of folks who have that same experience can't do they don't have the support system um because I had this support system, I could immediately tell my family, "Hey, this thing happened to me, and I need I need help. We, we've we've got to like buckle down and get over this together." And so many people, women, men, go through similar experiences without that support system. And so I, I credit my the people around me for allowing me to talk about it today and say this is a piece of my past that is in my past. That's kind of. Um like going back to you saying you were connected to your dad and we're all connected together. Mm -hmm. Like if we allow everybody to experience their emotions together, then we can like collectively create change. I feel like I agree. And I think there's like a known greatness when you encounter someone who is emotionally available, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And you just start imagining great possibilities you know like you can create together you can move forward in a direction that's healthy and that's real and authentic whereas when you encounter folks who are for whatever reason and and it's it's often self-protection and it's often because they have to be closed you know to protect their hearts um it, you don't, I, I don't, I, I don't want to say you, I will say I don't feel that same level of let's do this, you know, like yeah. let's, let's create together and let's be great together. Um, I definitely f- like run into walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. You've kind of discovered this connection. Mm-hmm. What other experiences have you had throughout your life? L- lots of empaths will say this, um, I, I get life stories. I get deep moments with people instantly on planes, um, waiting in line at the grocery store. Um, and, and there are always sort of connection points, you know. Um, recently, I was at the finish line of a race that, that Ryan, my partner, was running. And I, I just was kind of standing there watching the runners come in. And a woman walked up to me and asked who I was waiting for. And I said, oh, I'm waiting for my boyfriend. And she said, I am too. 
and launched into a story, like deep stories about her boyfriend is a runner and she isn't. And here's why that feeds some of her insecurities that stem all the way back to childhood and body image issues. And I mean, this, this was like a, a, you know, a 20 or 30 minute conversation, just as we were standing there watching runners come in. Um, I think there's an emotional availability to empaths that just, and and I I mean, I I have to kind of acknowledge my own participation in this. I don't do anything to stop people. I like hearing (laughs) life stories. Um, I think there's a safety to empaths, um, an awareness of emotions without judging. You know, like I recognized that this woman was vulnerable and I didn't shut her out. Often on yoga mats, like at the end of a yoga practice, the person next to me turns to me and says, oh my goodness, I just had a flashback to my childhood. This is something that happened recently. Um, There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score, and it's a really wonderful book about how um, traumatic experiences can be held in the body, Mm -hmm. in parts of the body, stored as emotional energy. Um, A lot of times in a yoga class, a hip opener, a back, a heart opener will release that emotional energy. And so just sitting on a yoga mat after class, um, a woman turned to me and told me about a flashback of a traumatic experience in her childhood that she'd never processed. Um, I didn't know her. I'd never seen her before in my life. But I was there and I was safe. And I think that's, I think that's almost like a job for empaths. Hear those stories. Let people have that space to tell those stories. Um, We need to tell them, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Hearing that, I'm like, empathy is such a powerful spiritual gift to the world. Yeah. it can be difficult on the person, but oh my gosh, you're giving people such a wonderful space to be themselves. And I would so much rather be with someone as themselves than wonder, you know? It, it, there's that old quote. I, It's kind of cheesy, but um, be kind because everyone is fighting a battle, you know? Yeah. Um, I totally butchered that. It's much more beautiful than that. <laughs> but um, I think that's something that, being an empath has given me um, at first in an unhealthy way because uh-huh. I was feeling those battles. I was feeling that pain, insecurity, what, whatever it was. But now I, it gives me recognition, um, space for that vulnerability. So then is it possible if you take empathy too far that you could be an unkind empath? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I... I, Totally hypothetical. (laughs) No, I I think that's a really good question. And I think of two types of unkindness. Um, There's a term in Radical Candor, a book that that we love in this building at Clearlink, um, called Ruinous Empathy, where you aren't holding people accountable. You know, you're empathetic and, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, without asking people to assume agency for their actions. I think that's one way an empath can be unkind. Um, I think the other way is, yeah, it can lead to maybe manipulation. Um, You can draw someone out and get them to a vulnerable state and cause pain. Hmm. You know, um, like they're they're exposing their belly to use like an animal reference. They're yeah. showing you their soft underbelly, and then you can hurt someone with words or actions. 
Um, and gosh, I don't know that I've ever encountered anyone like that, though. Thankfully, I'm sure that I mean, I'm sure they're out there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. When you talk about it, it almost feels like you switch, and then you're like a psychopath or yeah. something like that. And maybe that. I mean, maybe that's part. Maybe. Well, I mean, you think about like. I'm not a true crime fan. I, I can't yeah, hear those true. stories. But I've heard the stories of, you know, Ted Bundy would prey on vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. I think, I, and please forgive me, I'm sure your listeners know this story way better than I do, but he would, like, stand on the side of the road with his skis and his leg was in a cast, and so women would stop and pick him up. Again, forgive like me. Like he would try to yeah. s- seem vulnerable exactly. so that people would trust him. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and then of course, was not a good, not yeah. a good guy, real bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> but then I feel like they couldn't fall into the empath category anymore. Yeah, and point. maybe that's fair. Maybe that's just manipulation. Maybe that's just like emotional ma- manipulation. Like they understand people's emotions, but then they can't feel them themselves. Perhaps. I think that's absolutely right, you know? and I think maybe that's, maybe that is the definition of either psychopathy or sociopathy, mm-hmm. not feeling those emotions and Mm -hmm. that's what allows them to commit horrible acts yeah yeah so then circling back to the Mm -hmm. beginning of this yes tangent I know sorry be an unkind empath maybe that's true that would be really difficult probably yeah and I I would say I'll just say that ruinous empathy I don't think is actually unkindness it's just not setting boundaries maybe like not saying or not, not, not asking people to live up to their potential in a way, um, yeah. which can be hard. I mean, it can be hard to say to someone, I'll use a work example because that's very easy. I know you're going through a hard time, but you have to be here on time. You know, I know maybe your car broke down and you have to take the bus, but you have to take an earlier bus to get here. I mean, it feels cruel. It feels cruel to me to even say that. It feels like, oh my gosh, I'll give you a ride. Let me just come pick you up. Like that's yeah. where my mind goes, but I know that's not the healthy response, the kind response. Yes. That's ruinous empathy. Yes. So it's yeah. like when you haven't learned to set boundaries, mm-hmm. you can just let people get away with things that are actually harmful to them. To them and to you. And to, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And sense. and I do that a lot, I will say. I, I play that whole scenario out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I first had my daughter, I experienced a lot of postpartum anxiety. Um, And the phrase that Ryan was using with me at that time, which I thought was really helpful, was um, you played the whole film out in your mind. You know, so I would, I would like imagine a scary scenario and not be able to, these are called intrusive thoughts in therapy and in psychology, but I wouldn't be able to say, just stop, Mm -hmm. you know. And the same thing happens to me when I'm, um, weakened or drained I I will hear a sad story and I will just oh my gosh that is devastating and what can I do to help and just sail right through my own boundaries <laughs> okay I love that that um you're talking about having anxiety right now mm-hmm. so when you start having anxiety and experiencing these intrusive thoughts yeah is just stop something that actually helps you work like stop that or what work, helps you work through that I I, I will say um, anti-anxiety medication mm. is critical for me. I cannot stop intrusive thoughts unless I'm taking Lexapro. Mm-hmm. So that's a piece of it. Um, I, I definitely go to therapy and I talk a lot about intrusive thoughts. Um, almost when I think about intrusive thoughts with other people, it's a lot of projecting. It's a lot of like, again, not 
acknowledging and honoring empathic boundaries or energetic boundaries and taking on, oh, what must they be feeling? But maybe I don't know what they're feeling. And and that's something I have to remind myself all the time. Yesterday um, at lunch, we were taking donations for Australia for the... um, those impacted by the fires in Australia. And I found myself not wanting to ask people for money because, um, like, I know my charitable giving ability right now, and it's limited. And so I didn't want to ask others for money because I was thinking about my own experience. And then I said, well, that's not fair. Like, that's actually not fair to those people to project or to... um, assume I know what they're feeling and so I just started asking people and people were so generous and so comfortable giving and so it was a good reminder for me to stop those intrusive thoughts to say just as when I watch the news and I say that's not my story I need to say that my story isn't this person's story so so it kind of works both ways so it can get jumbled both ways very much very much interesting and anxiety is the linchpin for that jumbling, fascinating. Um, yeah, when I'm, um, and I think a lot you'll 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 read a lot about empaths and depression and anxiety. It's a very common um, coupling. Yeah. Um, the happiest I ever am is when I'm able to. Again, I keep saying the word boundaries, but really acknowledge, hey, this is my experience just as that person's experience is unique. Even if I can feel that they're unsettled right now, it's going to be okay. Every feeling is temporary, you know? Yeah, no, I think boundaries are so important. Yeah. I did an episode on sex magic. Yeah, yeah, and I loved it. The basis of all of that is just setting boundaries for yourself. Like, yeah. you'll never be able to manifest what you want in your life mm-hmm. if you don't have proper boundaries. Yeah. Was like the basis of that. It's and I so feel like true. you'll just always get mixed up whether it's in emotions or like other people's expectations. So boundaries true. are so key. I agree. I agree. From every relationship we have too, mm-hmm. you know, like um my nine-month-old is learning about sharing toys. She, her, her best little friend is an 11-month-old who, you know, two months of baby development is pretty significant. And so he's running around playing with toys and she's just sort of sitting there like, I want that, and kind of grabbing it. And, and watching that and learning, like watching those two sort it out, it's kind of interesting. Like yeah. we have to set boundaries in some way. You yeah. know, obviously verbally is kind of the most accepted and expected way mm-hmm. as adults. <laughs> but but even children yeah. are able to sort of put their hands up and say, that's enough, you know. So do you allow her to set her own boundaries then, or are you teaching her? There, it depends. Um, her little friend Elliot, her best friend Elliot, is kind of a rough-and-tumble guy, and so they physically set boundaries with each other um we you know obviously it's not like baby wars we don't let them like (laughs) like slap each other or anything but but it's interesting to kind of watch how they communicate um we have several cats and dogs and I do not let Eleanor my daughter set boundaries with those animals you know for her own safety for their safety for everybody's comfort um 
she is very in love with the cats and kind of crawls over to them and tries to squeeze them very hard. Oh. And so and so like we're we're working on that boundary. Yeah. Open-handed petting, open-handed petting. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so fascinating. It is I a know. combo of just teaching someone like boundary type actions, mm-hmm. especially w- with a child that yeah. I don't know how many words she's been saying if None. any mostly yeah. nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> so when a child's not speaking how to teach them boundaries, it feels like like relearning yourself Absolutely. what a boundary is. Absolutely. I, love that. I know. And and it's very interesting, you know, we have both Ryan and I have both been very clear with each other like I am going to I'm going to recenter and live the way I want to teach Eleanor. Um, and that that informs everything we do, the way we eat, the way we um, we no longer kind of like binge watch Netflix while we're eating dinner because we we don't want that for her. And so it's yeah. interesting what we'll do for someone else, but we wouldn't necessarily do it for ourselves. Like yes. I, I have a real soft spot for Coke Zero, but I don't want Eleanor to get hooked on soda. I don't know why. I no making no judgments about it. It's I don't know. It's just something that's in my head. Um, so I've stopped drinking it for her, but I, I wouldn't set that boundary for myself. So yeah. it's, it's been interesting to acknowledge that. That is amazing and yeah. fascinating. Yeah. I love that. And I'll say one thing um, about Eleanor, my, my little girl. Something that's often said about empaths is that, that they can't control their love of babies and pets and animals. And this is very true in my experience. Um, I left ClearLink years ago to work for an animal-related nonprofit. I had, at my high point, I had 14 pets. I mean, I just, like, boundless love for animals, just almost obsessive love for animals. And watching Eleanor encounter animals with such joy and delight and literally wanting to just squeeze them, you know, like, and show her love for them. I'm like, we might have a baby empath in our hands here, you know? It's kind of interesting. Does that love for animals come because they kind of, like, return the love to you? Very much, I I think. I mean, it's so easy to connect with an animal. It's so easy to feel. They don't put up walls around Mm. their emotion. You know, like dogs are so joyful when they're joyful and so contrite when they're sorry. You know, they're they're very clear about how they're feeling and they let you in in that way that it's so hard to do as an adult human. Yeah. We have so many protections. It's true, Mm -hmm. we do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about people can be empaths. Mm-hmm. Um, so if somebody wanted to develop more empathy, how would you suggest they go about doing that? I heard you and Chantel talk about Mr. Rogers in the episode that you did with with Chantel about manifesting, and he's my favorite. I just love Mr. Rogers. And so I would say... Something I learned from Mr. Rogers is to always put yourself in the other person's shoes. If you're doing an action, if you're, um, you know, if you're doing something that might hurt someone, put yourself in their shoes and imagine how that person would feel. And I think that's the way you come to empathy. Um, what must this person be feeling? And is that something I want to contribute to? Um we, we touched a little bit on how divided the country is right now. I will admit that a place where I'm having a lot of trouble having empathy is the other side politically. And, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to um, 
be inappropriate around this the content of your podcast. I know it's it's not political, but you know we're so divided, and I I've really been working hard on how must this other group be feeling and how can I understand that? And, it, and it's been tough. It's been tough for me to genuinely connect to that emotion. Yeah. Because I have a lot of strong emotions on the other side. So um, I've been trying to take my own advice of putting pe- putting myself in the other person's shoes. And, and it isn't easy. I guess yeah. what I'm saying is sometimes it's really hard. Yeah. I think it's fascinating, too, to hear you like as an empath who has so many emotions having a hard time putting yourself yeah in someone else's shoes so I don't know is there a trick to it is there a way to remind yourself to like step back and be like wait I need to remember how this person is feeling like Mm -hmm. my my own father I love him dearly Mm -hmm. but like every personality test he takes says that he lacks empathy oh interesting for other people interesting he's just a very like he sees it things very black and white right and so I would be curious like for a person like him Mm -hmm. who would struggle with that yeah I don't know how would he be able to see someone else's point of view the way that what I've come to understand and and again I'm this is I have learned by feel I'm not studied in this topic so this is just an opinion um the hardest time for me to experience empathy is when a situation is very emotionally charged or I'm very attached to it. Um, and I think politically in this country, we've aligned ourselves with causes that are deeply emotionally charged. We're attached to them on like a soul level. Um, so maybe start smaller, you mm. know, start with something that isn't life or death for you, you know. Um, if someone's frustrated in traffic, try to understand maybe they're late for an important meeting maybe they're late for a job interview give them some grace you know I think that's a way to start because it's not like we're all so personally attached if someone cuts us off you know um whereas there are bigger issues you know um bigger issues that that you feel personally that it might be harder to put yourself on the other side um yeah yeah so maybe start small yeah I feel like I feel like we might have talked about that with Chantel too or I had a side conversation with her Mm -hmm. where it was like no maybe don't try manifesting a million dollars right away but like start small and work your way up to it it's I, I think that's perfect advice. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm sure, I, I don't know your father, but knowing you and how empathic you are, I feel like, um, I feel like there must be empathy in there. And I feel like there's emotion. And yeah. And like, emotion and empathy, I'm like trying to understand where the line is of like, yeah. what is just being an emotional human being uh-huh. and being able to understand other people's emotions. Right, right. Yeah, and how much compassion does he have and mm-hmm. is he compassionate in a way that can lead to empathy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So finding what that mm-hmm. specific piece that ties you to empathy could be. Exactly. And that. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so being an empath... Have you ever had a paranormal experience? Definitely. Um, I, I, this isn't something I share very openly, but I sometimes feel like being an empath 
borders on being psychic or, um, you know, understanding something energetically that no one is telling you out loud in, in words. Um, several times I've encountered people and I've said to myself, that person is in such pain, that person is making a change in their life, that person is in it in some way, only to find out a week or two weeks later, oh, they're getting a divorce, they filed for divorce that day, or, um, you know, they're, they're, they lost someone, or they're in a bad spot mentally and considering suicide. That, that actually happened to me recently. Um, that could be me filling in the blanks later, and I hear the skeptics thinking that, like, oh, you felt something, and now in you're assuming you knew it, and that's fair, you know? Yeah. Um, but I definitely, I mean, I feel that it's a little bit paranormal sometimes um, to see someone to know this is happening despite everything they're showing and telling the world. Um, one particular experience, I was in. Uh, I was married. It was a. It was not a good marriage. We were coming to the end, but I didn't know how to leave. I was. I felt very trapped. Um, I was kind of trapped financially, emotionally. I didn't see a way out. Um, one day we were putting our dog to sleep. He was old and sick, and we were at the vets. And this dog, Red, and I were very connected. His whole life, we we just. He was my guy. He was you know, very intuitive, always knew when I was happy, when I was sad, just a super responsive little guy. And right before he died, right before he closed his eyes, he looked at me and I heard him say, go. Like I heard it so clearly. I heard it in my heart, um, in my soul. I knew that he was dying to set me free from that relationship. And, and as soon as he died, I realized I'm not tied to this place anymore. And I left. And, and it was, it sounds, I know it sounds a little bit crazy, but it happened, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like, all I can say is that it happened and it showed me, he showed me a path yes. to my future, to where I am today, which was pretty amazing. Oh my gosh, that story just gives me chills. Like, it's <laughs> so heartbreaking but also so beautiful I know I know and um when you say like it sounds a little crazy I always go back to this quote from Harry Potter like I feel oh I love Harry um Harry asks Dumbledore and I'm totally gonna butcher this quote but he's like is this real or is it just happening in my head and Dumbledore is like of course it's happening in your head but of course it's real exactly like, it's the same thing yes. like it doesn't mean that it's any less real yeah whether or not it you actually audibly heard right. Red say that? Yeah. Or whether it was just a feeling that you had. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it was the experience I mm-hmm. had. So there it is. You know, that's the only answer. Yeah. Oh, I love that quote. Yes. I'm going to have to write that down. I'm going to have to find the real quote because yeah. it's just so powerful yeah. to me. But it also, I interviewed my grandpa who he has um, a lot of dreams about his ancestors who have passed on. Every single oh. one that he's known has come to him. But um, in his dreams, he said that they often speak telepathically. Interesting. And so whatever, like obviously if you were to speak telepathically with a person, that would happen in your head. Yep. But it doesn't mean you're not having a conversation. So true. And I feel so like true. on earth, we might not necessarily realize 
when we're having those Mm -hmm. like telepathic conversations Mm -hmm. it's so fair because yeah there's a lot of other noise there's a lot of distraction I mean there are phones there's alcohol there's food we numb and distract ourselves in so many ways it could be happening all the time yes yeah especially for someone like you yeah who's so connected to other people's emotions right speaking emotionally too right right I mean I I really believe that animals communicate with us in a real way not just in a sweet oh look he's wagging his tail but they sense things and they feel things and um we, you know, Ryan and I are so committed to our pets. We thought we would only ever have pets. We didn't think we'd have a child. And Eleanor came along, and I was pretty worried about the animals feeling pushed aside a mm. little bit because, you know, a baby human has a lot of needs. I, yeah. I mean, that I'm not <laughs> going to not meet to, you know, to pet a cat necessarily. Um, so I was, we were really worried. I was really worried. Ryan kind of felt like it was all going to be fine. Um, the way the animals responded to Eleanor and just kind of understood her place in our in our family, in our kind of tribe, was so beautiful. The way they love her, the way when she sleeps they all come by and sort of sniff her and the dogs will lay down next to her. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how aware animals are. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. They just knew she was part of the family now. Yeah. And that she was really important and yeah. like needed their patience. Oh, I love yeah. that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, knock on wood. I, I, and we're very <laughs> careful. We're not like cavalier about throw her in with the animals. No, not <laughs> at all. But, um, it's been a pleasant surprise. Yeah. I love that. That's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Okay, I have to ask you my question I ask everybody. Yes. What is your most wild belief? This is, I love this question because it's easy for me to answer. I absolutely 100% know that Ryan and I knew and loved each other in a past life or in past lives. When I first kind of encountered him, it was years ago, we were both married. I saw this man and I thought, well, he's mine. He's for me. What's he doing over there? What am I doing over here? Like, that's the one. And I kind of buried it. I was burying a lot at that point in my life, burying a lot of feelings. Um, Later, after we both got divorced and we kind of reconnected, it was like, of course, of course, I've been waiting for you, you know? And when we, when, I mean, our first date lasted 72 hours and we moved in together on our third date. It was like, well, this is it. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is finally, everything makes sense. But I always say, I knew when I, when we got together, like that it's been him. It's, I've been, I thought I was looking for someone. I thought I was looking for a partner, but I was looking for Ryan this whole time. Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had like a past life reading that also confirmed that or? No, I, I've had past life readings. Um, it didn't address Ryan. I had one that talked about, um, that explained a lot about my relationship with my father, which we talked mm. about earlier. It's We have this very deep emotional connection Um it was such a fascinating reading in that, you know, I'm a writer, I'm a communications person, I have a very vivid imagination, and I was, it, it, the woman who took me through this process hypnotized me first, hypnotized me first, and then took me back through one of my past lives. Um, I saw 
things that I would never have been able to imagine, places that I knew were places in the world that I've never been, but I saw them with such clarity and detail. It, it has to be that I was there at some point. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's so amazing. It's so interesting to me. I'm like very beginner at this whole kind of past life world, but it, it feels so real to yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, Katie, thank you so much for sharing who you are with us. Like, it just connects so many things together for me personally. Like, I feel like you are one of those angel people that have been dropped into my life. And I'm so grateful for you and for your time and for being so open. Thank you so much. This is amazing. And it just feels so good to be here talking about this and with such grace and acceptance that you bring. So thank thank you. you. Is there anything that you want to share, leave the listeners with, or a social media handle you want them to find you? Absolutely. I only post about Eleanor these days. It used to be all cats, now it's all Eleanor, but um, every now and again I drop a piece of writing or a piece of thinking in there that I'd love feedback on. So my Instagram handle is itskavik, I-T-S-C-A-V-I-C. Perfect. So come find me. I'd love to meet you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. This was wonderful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gnosis. And thank you to Joseph McDade for letting us use his song, Olympus. If you're a fan of the show... Help us spread the word by leaving a review with lots of stars. For any feedback, stories, or ideas, please email me at thenosispodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at thenosispodcast. Additional information on our guests can always be found in the show notes. Until next time, keep exploring those spiritual mysteries.